and welcome to Romancing the Amazon. I'm Melody. I'm Zoe. And I'm Elizabeth. Each week we pick a romance novel that's being offered for free in the Kindle store on Amazon. We read it and review it for you guys. But this season we've decided to do something a little bit different at the end of each subgenre. So today we're going to do our first grab bag episode. We each picked a different novel this week, read it, and we are going to give you a quick timed summary and then we will discuss each one afterwards. And none of us know exactly what the other person read. Correct. So this will be new to all of us. (laughs) Hopefully it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm going to go first. So this week, the paranormal romance novel that I read was called The Merman's Kiss by Tamsin Lay. Ready? Begin. So it was really quick and easy read. It's good if you're looking for lots of sex. Oh. Uh, between, they're pretty sympathetic characters, but it's a story without much depth, except oceanic death. Depth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so <laughs> Brianna is married to Eric, and they had a stillborn child a year ago. They're trying to get pregnant again, but Eric is a cold fish, and Brianna hasn't emotionally recovered from her loss. Since she's promised her now-dead father she'd never get divorced, she decides to tie fishing weights to her waist and walk off a dock into the ocean. Oh, that's extreme. A little bit. As she's drowning, she decides she doesn't actually want to die after all, and so has to take all of her clothes off to try to get the fishing weights off. It doesn't work, and she starts actually drowning. Enter Zentu. He's out searching the ocean for treasures when he catches a glimpse of something gold, which happens to be the gold necklace around Brianna's neck. He looks at her. She clings to him like a squid. This is how it was worded in the book. (laughs) He kisses her so she can breathe again, but she gets super duper turned on because they have some kind of magic connection. His merman penis springs free from its sheath and penetrates her in one smooth motion. And ta-da, they have sex for the first time on page seven. And they are now permanently bonded. Oh, wow. So some things to know. Mermaids are awful. Only the mermen bond permanently for life. So um, the mermaids come have sex with them, trap them into this permanent bond. They get pregnant and then they drop the kid off with the merman. The kids, the merman raises the kids and then dies of a broken heart while their mates are out having sex with anything that moves. Oh okay. my gosh. So apparently <laughs> bonding, but only the strongest bonding results in telepathy between mates. So this is how Brianna and Zantu communicate. Okay, they have to kiss regularly so Brianna can keep breathing underwater, which of course means they have sex all the time. (laughs) And eventually, after some drama with Zantu's broken-hearted brother, Rubak, Zantu realizes he can't keep Brianna in the ocean forever and takes her back to shore against her wishes. Now Zantu is in the ocean, broken-hearted, but he knows Brianna is safe, so it's fine. Brianna divorces Eric and moves to the seashore, where she walks the shore every single day, thinking Zantu's name really loud. And <laughs> eventually, Zantu finds a blue whale who tells him that he can live on land if he really, really wants to bad enough. So off he races to Brianna, who has, again, been walking the seashore, thinking so loudly. Um, and finally, he answers her. And she runs to the ocean, and he magically has legs and has no trouble walking, and also he speaks English perfectly. And she tells him she's pregnant, and he's elated, and the end happily ever after. 15 seconds left. You did it. (laughs) Phew. I'm out of breath. (laughs) Any questions? 
I have so many questions. <laughs> I don't even know where to begin asking. I want to start with the blue whale. Yes, what is with the whale? <laughs> okay, so apparently in merperson lore, or there's some kind of like merperson mythology, the blue whales are ancient, so they know this mythology, but it hasn't really been passed down effectively through mer people. But <laughs> Xantu's brother, Rubak, heard these stories and believes in them. And so he, oh my gosh, there's so much to explain. <laughs> He's left with the stillborn child of his mate oh. and is just devastated, understandably, and decides that he's going to take the child to the ocean depths. He has to find a blue whale to help this child's soul ascend or something like that to be mm-hmm. free because he believes in this mythology. So this is where all the drama starts with Ruback, and we don't need to get into all of it. But they finally find a blue whale and it says something to Xantu like, oh, you're mated to a human. You have so much to learn. <laughs> and then we move on. And then after Xantu has taken Brianna back to shore, he remembers, well, and after he spent a couple months or something, I don't know, being really super depressed and wandering the ocean aimlessly, he remembers that this blue whale said, oh, you have so much to learn. And he's like, I have to find a blue whale and ask him what he meant. So he finds a blue whale and asks him what he meant. And he said, if you care enough about your mate, you can do anything. Gosh, I wish I spoke whale. (laughs) (laughs) So they all die of a broken heart? All the mermen, because they bond for life and they're like super smitten as soon as they bond. And And they bond just by having sex? Yep. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's much simpler than um, Knight's Redemption, where they have to actually grasp the silver thread. (laughs) (laughs) So wait, if if the mermaids are dropping the kids off with the mermen, and then the mermen die of a broken heart, do we just have a bunch of orphaned mermen? So they don't die instantly. Like, they raise the kids. They they bond, and then their natural drive is to nurture and raise the kids. And then, presumably, the kids get old enough, but then they hit puberty, and they go out, I guess, and live on their own. And then the merman is free to die of a broken heart. <laughs> That's so sad. <laughs> but, 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 if they're rearing all of these mer children, can they not rear them not to just abandon mermen? I don't know. And go sleep with everything that moves? I don't know Swims? the answer. Apparently mermaids are just innately awful. <laughs> Yikes. I read this book because I desperately wanted to know how mermaid sex worked. <laughs> and did you find out the answer to that I question? Did. I found the answer. And it, it's pretty logical, but it was very strange. So yes, mermen have a sheath that apparently their penis can just spring forth from. <laughs> and that's exactly how it's described. Oh there you go. But I would award my book the most sex per page award (laughs) because they had a lot of sex. Like I said, page seven, first time. Wow. And it didn't stop there. (laughs) That will be quite in contrast to mine. Oh, no. Indeed. Shall you go next? Sure. Okay. All right. I read Bitten and Smitten, Immortality Bites, book one by Michelle Rowan. Okay. In three, two, one, go. So the main characters are Sarah Dearly, 
Thierry de Benecoeur. Easy for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something Quinn. I don't remember his first name. He just goes by Quinn. Okay. Uh, Amy, Zelda, George, Veronique, and Peter. Those are the most important characters, That's but there lot. are a lot more. <laughs> so Sarah, our heroine, is a newly made vampire, like on a blind date, newly made. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yes. It's very interesting. An executive assistant, and she has somehow the worst and best luck at the same time. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Thierry de Benecoeur is our hero, a 600-year-old vampire, tall, dark, and handsome, brooding, and full of ennui. <laughs> when Sarah first meets him, he is standing on a bridge about to jump, even though jumping won't kill a vampire. Uh-huh. He's got a stake in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> Quinn is the other hero, a vampire hunter who gets turned into a vampire over the course of the book and doesn't seem to know what the heck he wants. Amy is Sarah's human best friend. Zelda is Sarah's vampire best friend and a bartender at Thierry's bar for vampires. George <laughs> is a gay vampire waiter at said bar. <laughs> Veronique is a gorgeous vampire and Thierry's wife from way back when, like 600 years ago, way back when. (laughs) And Peter is another vampire hunter. So the things you need to know about vampires that you learn in this book, they are sensitive to sunlight, but it won't actually hurt them or kill them. Okay. They gradually grow fangs and lose their reflection. It doesn't happen all at once. They need the blood of their sire or another older vampire when they're first turned until they like grow into being a vampire and then they can just drink anyone's blood, I guess. And they can drink liquids, no problem. Solid foods are pretty much a no-go. And they are still alive, heartbeat and everything, but essentially immortal. They can be killed by, say, beheading or with a steak. If they're really old, they turn into goo. Ew. (laughs) So, this is a kissing book. (laughs) There is no sex, but there's lots and lots of kissing. Lots of lip locks with both heroes. Oh. Even though Sarah very clearly prefers Thierry de Benecourt. I'm gradually getting better at his name. Um, And uh, let's see. It's mostly lighthearted, and there's a surprisingly high body count for it being (laughs) lighthearted. Nothing feels very deep either. And Sarah's reactions, while reasonable, don't really give you much insight into her character. Uh, Yeah. It's set in Toronto. And it's really quick, especially considering its length. It's the first story in Sarah's series. Her story continues in Fanged and Fabulous, Immortality Bites, books two. Book two. Wow. Yes. Oh! <laughs> Perfect timing. So I didn't tell you much about the plot. <laughs> no. But yeah. But we got a feel for the characters. Uh-huh. Yes. There were a lot of characters. Indeed. So wait, she gets turned on a blind date? Yes, that, that is the That is like the worst chapter. blind date ever. Yes. Oh. It was a blind date that her best friend Amy set up, not knowing, of course, that this dude was a vampire and a crazy vampire at that, because <laughs> you're not supposed to just turn people without their permission. Yeah. <laughs> so how does, how does the vampire hunter get turned into a vampire oh. if you aren't supposed to turn people without their permission? Well, okay. So there are a bunch of vampires. <laughs> hunters in town for vampire season. <laughs> you vampire hunting season? Yes. <laughs> so, 
like right after Sarah is turned and saved by Thierry, she says, I'm not going to be a vampire and walks out. Basically doesn't believe him. And she goes across the street to this hole in the wall bar, starts chatting up this dude who turns out his name is Quinn. And then it turns out he's a vampire hunter and she's a vampire. And he's like, well, sorry, I got to kill you. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then his dad comes in and starts wailing on him and she escapes. <laughs> Quinn's dad comes yes. in? Yes. Yes. Is Quinn's dad a vampire? A vampire hunter. Just, they just don't have a happy relationship. Anyway, later on, when Sarah has come to terms with, kind of come to terms with the fact that she is a vampire, she's wandering around some kind of underground mall that I didn't understand, not having been to Toronto. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, wanders too far and turns around, and there's Quinn, and he says, Sorry, I have to kill you, <laughs> especially now that there's no one around. And she's like, No, Quinn, don't. And uh, these other vampires who think that she is Thierry's girlfriend, because why not? <laughs> because Thierry's kind of taken her under his wing, come to her rescue, and the last Sarah sees of Quinn, they've got him pinned down, and they're threatening him, and she thinks they're threatening him with death, but it turns out later that they just bite him and turn him against his will because he or the other vampire hunters had killed their loved ones recently, mm. and it was revenge. Against men! <laughs> and it's all your fault! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so anyway, Quinn is like, no, I can't be a vampire. Now I have to die. <laughs> Sticking to his guns. Yes. And Sarah's like, but why? You're not dead. Do you feel any different? He's like, no. <laughs> She's like, See, you can learn. Okay, in the meantime, she keeps going back and forth with Thierry because she's a vampire, but she doesn't want to be a vampire, and he's a vampire who wants to die because he's been alive too long and nothing's interesting anymore. <laughs> and uh, she doesn't want to lose her human connections, which he said she has to drop completely, and so she goes off to her cousin's wedding somewhere else in Canada, <laughs> despite being a newly made vampire, discovers vampires at the wedding, as well as a vampire hunter priest, but there's lots of booze and so things get confused. <laughs> and Thierry has to come and rescue her and they almost have sex, but then her mom knocks on the door and he leaves through the window. <laughs> oh my gosh. And they come back and basically every time Quinn shows up, he kisses Sarah and she kisses him back for reasons I don't understand. And then eventually, at the end, she confesses her love to Thierry. Oh, there is a big plot twist in that Thierry owns multiple bars, vampire bars, blood bars, basically. And they have been raided by vampire hunters one by one. And there have been lots of casualties. And so he's trying to get to the bottom of that. And so on and so on. And there's a traitor. And... <laughs> And then when uh, there's a whole big confrontation battle scene thing. Oh my. Yes. Is that and where the high body count comes in? Yes. <laughs> okay, so quick question. Yes. Would you actually classify this as a romance? Um, Obviously. I don't know. The romance didn't seem to be the main point. Yeah. But it was in there. I, I really questioned why there was even an attempt at, uh, oh my goodness, love triangle. Because Twilight, duh. I know, but they were all vampires, and even though Sarah kissed Quinn back, she didn't actually want him, and she kept telling him to get lost. <laughs> it's like, why'd you kiss him if you tell him to get lost? Huh. And and she and Thierry do end up at, together at the end. Wow. Yes. 
So now that you've gotten an extra long version. <laughs> so does he decide he wants to live? Yes. Okay. That's good. Yes, because she brings joy and interest and new things to his life. That's good. Uh-huh. I don't know what I would nominate this one for. Most pointless love triangle, for sure. Oh, yeah. Mm. And the broodingest hero. Oh. Yeah. Are we talking, like, Heathcliff levels of brooding? Yes, but not quite as crazy. <laughs> That's good. Lower on the crazy scale yeah. is good. More like, I'm so old, you can never understand. I uh. have to carry this steak around. <laughs> That makes it your turn. All right. So I read Mission Improper by Beck McMaster. Ready? Ready. Set. Go. All right. So our book takes place in 1883 London, except it's not the London you would recognize. There is a whole lot of world building going on in this novel. But to drill it down, there are blue bloods who are essentially vampires. And they're what we think of as vampires, you know, brooding, aristocratic, rich. Uh-huh. They drink blood. <laughs> Extra strong. Uh Don't go out in the sunlight. If the levels of virus in their blood get to be too high, they become vampires, which are ravenous monsters that slaughter everything in their path. So they do their best to execute anyone whose blood levels get too high. The Blue Bloods are essentially the aristocratic rulers of Britain. Um, And then we've got... Verwolfens, who are... Verwolfens? They're werewolves that don't transform, but they have, oh. like, the better senses, and okay. they can go berserk. So, Caleb, our hero, is a Nighthawk, which is, like, the vampire version of Scotland Yard. And Ingrid is a Verwolfen, who's an investigator, and they have been invited to join the Company of Rogues, which is a special elite unit slash heist crew slash secret agent organization whose job is to investigate incidents that are threats to the crown. Because about three years ago, prior to the novel, um, there was a revolution. And basically, the good blue bloods and the humans and the verwolfen overthrew kind of this, uh, the vampires that were sort of running everything and oppressing everybody. And so a lot of people aren't happy with the New World Order, which is better for everyone. And so their job is to find the people who are trying to tear it down. (laughs) So uh, Caleb and Ingrid have history. Like a couple years ago, they did a case (laughs) together and there were bets and competition. And it ended with her leaving him tied up in bed naked and walking away. (laughs) So they, they see each other again and it's instant chemistry. It's all back on. This back and forth between them, the rivalry, everything. So there's tons of, like, sexy chemistry. And then, meanwhile, they're trying to figure out who's responsible for all these attacks and murders and disappearances that are all connected. They find out that there's this, like, cabal behind it all called the Sons of Gilead and the Rising Suns. And so when they go undercover at a masquerade ball to investigate, they find out that there is, in fact, someone behind that group as well who's controlling them all. And they run into this blue blood woman who's like a super special, awesome vampire and who has a bunch of vampire thralls that she can control, even though they're ravening monsters that can't be controlled. And so there's like a vampire attack. Caleb 
it realizes when Ingrid has been injured that he has real feelings and he has an <laughs> existential crisis and then comes through and vows that he's in love with her and he wants to make this work. You know, they, oh, oh and time. I am out of time. And there is so much more. <laughs> but they end up finding where she's located, hunting her down. Caleb is captured and she's trying to turn him into one of the uber vampires. And he's injected and he starts to lose his mind. Oh, no. And they come in and they fight the vampires, which are taken out. Ingrid manages to capture the vampire lady, but he's still kind of going nuts. And she's able to reach him in the middle of it all. <laughs> and so he comes back to himself and they find out more information about the people who are behind it all, and they get together and live happily ever after. Wow. And that oh does not gosh. even begin to cover it. <laughs> That's uh, intense. So I've read some stuff by Beck McMaster, yes. but I don't think this one was one of them. So she has two series set in this world. Mm -hmm. And the first one might be what you read, and that's everything leading up to this revolution. Uh -huh. And this is set like three years later, and it's the first book of the next series, which is kind of this organization that's trying to stop the people who are trying to tear down everything they just built. Uh -huh. I did, confession, I have read this before, uh -huh. but I saw it on the freebie list and was like, I'm totally doing that for my grab bag. <laughs> nice. That's a lot. Yes. Yes. How long is this book? It was like maybe 400 pages. It was Holy a longer cow. one. Yeah. It was longer. But it didn't feel longer. Like uh -huh. there were some things that could be slimmed down. There were a lot of plot points going on. But she did manage to keep it pretty focused on our two main characters. Okay. There were a couple of um, point of view scenes from side characters that weren't really necessary. Mm -hmm. You know, you got the obligatory villain perspective one yeah. time. I was like, we didn't actually need that. And, you know, some setup for future couples. Uh-huh. Because um, we did have a lot of interesting side characters with the the other rogues. <laughs> if you had to award your book one award, what would it be? Oh, gosh. Okay, so it gets a couple of awards. <laughs> it gets most unrealistic technology. Because <laughs> <laughs> we have the clockwork technology, but somehow within that, they've got like radios and tracking devices and all kinds of stuff that don't fit for an alternate 1880s London, right? <laughs> uh, I would also give it most over-the-top villain because oh, okay. <laughs> our super vampire lady like escaped from an asylum and they did experiments on her and she has vampires on leashes and she's oh. got the crazy eyes and she's obsessed <laughs> with our hero. <laughs> okay. And then I would also give it couple most likely to rescue each other because okay. they kind of nice. take turns doing that throughout the novel, which nice. is fun because they're both equally competent and they work well together, which mm. made them fun to read as a couple. Yeah. That sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you like a lot of world building with your romance, this is a good one. And I would highly recommend it. But if you don't want to have to deal with, ro like, lots of other plots going on <laughs> with the romantic plot, maybe give it a miss. All right. Well, next week... We have another intro episode. We're going to be jumping into Western and cowboy romances. <laughs> you can tell we are excited. So tune in. Don't miss it. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe, review, and share it with your friends so we can get some more listeners. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere else you find podcasts. We are there. Super cool. 
The links to each book are in the show notes. So if you're interested in any of them, by all means, read along. <laughs> Let us know your thoughts and join us next week for some westerns. Yeehaw! <laughs> Catch you next time. <laughs> <laughs>